0: Right, you're listening to the Bi-Size Business Breakfast What that. Uh, that is the best bits from Business Breakfast on Thursday, November the 10th. One of the best bits was, of course, our regular update of all things property, property advice for real. With Hauser Sarah Hewardine joined us live in studio. This after the week that we heard Nikhil announcing a massive financing deal, a financing deal to help them finance future projects and existing projects with waterfront and coastline views. So that prompted the question to Sarah, just how important is a coastline or a waterfront view for real estate developers here? Brandy Scott's been live from COP27 throughout the week down in the south of Egypt and Sham al-Sheikh. She's been sending us back updates of some of the delegates, some of the big talking points and much more. We continued throughout the show this morning. Andrew Tarbuck was kind enough to join us live in Studio Andrews from Altamimi and Company. He joined us as part of our Taking Stock with DFM segment to talk all things IPO and to contrast the boom in IPOs here to the dearth in IPOs in the States and other parts of the world. Plus, one of the big talkers of the morning was all things cryptocurrencies. When we went to bed the night before, we were under the assumption that Binance was going to help out the beleaguered FTX platform. When we woke up the following morning, that had all changed. They decided that it wasn't such a good idea. That, in turn, threw the cryptocurrencies and the crypto markets into turmoil. Big talker throughout the course of the morning, that and the midterms. Uh, Let's turn our attention to some of the big talkers of the morning. Uh, Yet the midterms ongoing at the moment. We've still got no clear confirmation as to who's taken power uh, of the various houses, Senate, representatives and otherwise. We'll keep an eye on that one. The one thing we can say for sure is that the red tsunami uh, became a red wave and is now just a little red trickle lapping at the side. Likely. At the moment. Uh, That's one of the stories today. The other big story today is all things cryptocurrencies. Uh, Let's have a look at the cryptocurrency markets in a few moments time. Uh, Why uh, has this uh, woken our attention? Because when we went to bed last night, when we tucked ourselves in, we thought that nice old Binance was going to come to the aid of poor FTX, the embattled uh, rival um, cryptocurrency platform FTX, which put out uh, the begging bowl yesterday. Uh, Binance came to their rescue, Um, but they've slept on it and decided, nah, you're all right. Abrupt reversal overnight, cryptocurrency exchange, Binance pulling out of a deal to acquire its embattled rival FTX, saying the company's problems were beyond our control or ability to help. Uh, George has been trying to make sense of this one overnight.
1: Yeah, I mean, CZ, uh, the CEO, obviously, of Binance, originally uh, agreeing to bail out his arch rival. I mean, they they haven't had a close relationship, uh, to say the least. Uh, Bankman fried uh, was definitely a competitor of his. Uh, But then it became clear that that the company did rescuing. They signed a letter, but it was a non-binding letter. Everything went very quiet yesterday afternoon. Uh, And then late last night, while we were asleep, uh, CZ uh basically or cz depending i think it's cz uh did an, basically wrote a tweet saying we tried and then a crying face emoticon um i've said this before i don't think ceos of major multi-billion dollar companies should be using emoticons to communicate it's
0: crypto, isn't
1: it? i know but i mean it's a serious like essentially now uh uh bankman freed needs four billion dollars he said he said in a well i mean in allegedly off the record conversation last night that every single news organization seems to have coverage of uh, that he basically has said to his investors i'm really sorry i messed up i need four billion dollars like yesterday otherwise the whole edifice is going to come crumbling down
0: it is the it's the battle of the acronymized names isn't it yes because you've got cz versus SBF. Because that's what what
1: he gets known as. Sam
0: Bankman-Free goes at, isn't it? SBF.
1: Yeah, we've got one with very big curly hair and one with very little hair (laughs) as well. They're they're literally, they're sort of arch nemesis. nemesis, Nemesis? Anyway, um, much of this is too complicated for anyone apart from the, the serious professionals to understand. So I got in touch with Matt Blom, who is, of course, the business breakfast Bitcoin Matt. And I asked him last night, what was going on?
2: it appears that we are experiencing the final unintended consequences of the lunar collapse earlier this year. Following that, 3 hours Carapital, Voyager and Celsius went bust and ran into financial difficulties. FTX and SBF, as he's known, the CEO of FTX and Alameda Research, was heavily involved in trying to, to bail out and support those, those companies. And it now would appear that he was doing that to actually try and protect his own position. And as things have come to light, in the last few days and the balance sheet has been leaked and it caused some concern from cz from binance to come out and say that you know they would be exiting their FTT position which was the catalyst to kick off this move very quickly it moved to a situation where where binance were actually looking to acquire ftx in doing so it would have meant that the exchange token FTT was going to lose value as a as a part of of the ftx ecosystem Uh, that selling pressure has probably then put a lot more pressure on various different loans that were out by FTX and Alameda into into the ecosystem.
1: Okay, so I also asked him whether or not a deal between Binance and FTX would be enough to stabilize the crypto market. Remember, that deal now is definitely not going to go ahead. So this answer feels even more ominous.
2: This has caused a a rush for everybody to exit their positions and and go to stablecoins and uh, assess whatever risks they have. Outstanding to FTX and Alameda. So now we we wait to see uh, the dust settle and to see if the the selling is over, if there is more to come. It's very, very much so a very, very risky time to be trying to guess what happens next at this moment in time. I think uh, it's going to take a few more days for us to really know the true picture and to see if there is any actually spillover into any other exchanges, which might actually cause further downside across the crypto markets.
1: Poor Matt. He doesn't sound very cheerful, does he? I, I remember back when, by, when, uh, uh, when uh, what's Bitcoin was up at forty three, forty two thousand, uh, and you'd have him on, and he sounded all buoyant and upbeat. And now, of course, the bottom's falling out of the market.
0: Yeah, as he was saying, there. waiting for the dust to settle. Let's have a look and see what um, Bitcoin's doing as we speak at the moment. Bitcoin trading at sixteen thousand four hundred forty one uh, U.S. dollars at the moment, which is significantly down from its uh, market price yesterday so we will keep an eye on that one for you and spare a thought for uh, sbf as well um which is weird it's 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 a, it, it it he's the man that sort of bailed out crypto yeah a couple of months ago um and now he is uh he's the one that is Uh, Needing the bailout, but it's not forthcoming as well. Started this week firmly in the realm of the billionaires. Estimated fortune of more than $15 billion, according to, you know who, Bloomberg Billionaire Index. Um, However, finishes this week um, uh, with, well, a significantly less amount in the kitty in fact uh, latest analysis suggesting that uh, the white knight of crypto as they call him has lost 94 percent of his wealth in one single day of trading
1: makes me feel a little bit better about the fact that i got into cryptocurrencies when it was at its peak Um, i mean into cryptocurrencies. i mean like bought a tiny little etf but still it's now you know, a third of its original value.
0: 94% collapse, the biggest one day lost by a person tracked by the index Oof. like ever. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. And we have all seen a remarkable surge in companies going public in the UAE, uh, rendering a major boost to the GCC markets. 27 IPOs across the GCC, uh, raising a total of $14.5 billion in 2022. And these numbers are changing all the time. This is just uh, the latest numbers from Markaz, GCC Equity Primary Offings Report from Marquez uh, a couple of weeks ago. Year-to-date, UAE witnessing the highest offering amount with um, a total value end of October, $9.7 billion being raised through five very significant IPOs, which seems to be bucking the trend internationally. Again, something we're seeing uh, time and time again, be it markets, uh, be it real estate or otherwise, and also IPOs. Wanted to get more context on this, uh, and who better to ask than partner, head of capital markets at Altamimi & Company. Company, Andrew Tarbuck has been kind enough to join us live in studio. Andrew, morning to you. Morning, Tom. Morning, Georgia. We're going to focus down on some of the, the individual IPOs in just a few moments' time. But just want your thought on that sort of wider topic. Um, we are hearing reports coming out of the US concerned that they haven't seen the number of IPOs that they have in recent years. In stark contrast to
3: what we're seeing here in the region, is that is that fair? Yeah, that's that's absolutely fair. I mean, I think you know the number of ipos that you see in the us and europe is significantly down and part of that story is in the particularly in the us is the end of the spac boom and obviously there were there are multiple spacs coming to market particularly last year that's all dried up so that that's really particularly the story in the us but in the uk i mean there has been a real dearth of listings and there's been a listing recently which is ithaca energy and that debuted and the share price was dull and so literally you're seeing the performance of these listings in london not performing to to expectations as well so just across the board um the 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 amount that's being raised is low and also the actual number of issuers coming to market, and obviously we saw Porsche was very successful, um, but I think that was seen as as hopefully a bellwether, particularly in Europe, but it it didn't really transpire that way, and it didn't really lead the market. So there's a couple of bright spots, but that's it. And so. Certainly, you know, investors, bankers are looking to this region for sure. And, yeah, this is the hottest of the hot IPO markets. I mean, I've never seen anything like it here. Um, it's incredible. But it's partly due to what's happening just around the world. You know, the, the, the figures and the index performance that you see here is just so incredibly good compared to the rest of the world, which is highly volatile and very challenging.
0: So let's focus on a couple of those um, marquee IPOs that are ongoing here at the moment. As I said, we've seen some significant ones uh, throughout the course of 2022. And we're finishing with a flurry at the end as well. The Empower IPO has been not just rising ab- uh, raising eyebrows, it has been rising all sorts yeah. of figures left, right and centre. The end of the subscription period, what can you tell us?
3: Yeah, so uh, look, I mean, we're into Q4 and people are saying, well, look, is is this – IPO market going to tail off towards the end of the year, it's done completely the opposite. I mean, it's almost like a hockey stick in Mm. Q4. And you've seen um, three IPOs that are basically out of the market, you know, really just very close up on their subscription period. So Empower, Talim, and then um, Americana. Those are three very, very big IPOs, all coming to market within late october november um, we 'll see what december 's got to 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 do for us, but literally I, I think it 's been an incredible surge towards the end, and the pipeline is still looking positive uh, for next year so yeah the the you say they 're marquee and they are marquee mm. companies i mean that 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 is the i think the 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 tail of the tape is that these are quality issuers. Um, one of the features that you've got with Talim, for example, is that's that's one of the, the um, a new bright spot because it's actually a private company. That's mm. not a government privatization. So Empower Power is a con- continuation of that government privatization piece, um, whereas Talim that is a private company. converting into a PGSC, and you know that is a, a long standing private business that is coming to market, which that's a great story. Um, and is uh, it significant as well? Sorry to interrupt there, Andrew, but is it significant that we're
0: seeing very different, sort of, or a variety of different industries also going to market from
3: cool schooling in lean to, <laughs> well, cool cooling in Empower? Well, very good. Um, I can't keep up with that, Tom. So, so, um, well, You're practicing all night, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the another IPO that that's just completed is Bayonet down mm-hmm. in uh, Abu Dhabi, which is an artificial intelligence uh, company around. Uh, around sort of geospatial mapping. So that's a tech play. Empower is is a little bit more your sort of, you know, kind of defensive stock, which is utilities. But when you get into education, cool schools, you're absolutely right. You know, the education sector is buzzing here just generally, healthcare as well. But when you see a, a schools operator coming to market, it's great because it gives opportunity to, to to buy into it. And One of the wonderful features of Talim, actually, which is really noteworthy, is that 2% of the shares are actually allocated towards uh, employees, but eligible parents. Mm. So parents of kids in the schools that that Talim operates have a 2% allocation, uh, which uh, that's that's novel, and that is cool.
0: (laughs) That'll shut them up in the car park, won't it? Absolutely. eh? Especially if the figures are going the right way. That's right. Uh, Listen, we've got one minute left with you. I just want a quick sort of heads up as to... (laughs) Is there, I mean, all, all sorts of positivity out there, uh, ending 2022 20, on a high, I'm assuming more of the same in twenty three. Can we cope with this many IPOs at the moment?
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you've got Americana coming, which is sort of valued up at, at uh, $2 billion, uh, in terms of dollar offering. Um, what we've seen is there's so much demand for all of these IPOs. Um, there is still pent-up powder because people aren't getting allocated 100%. So it goes to the next IPO. So literally what they didn't get on one IPO, they then fuel into the next one. Also, all of these these issuers are big high dividend players. So the dividend payouts, what are people going to spend that on? Mm. And so that will then go to next year's powder. So I can see that it'll continue. I mean, it, it, much of it is dependent on the oil price as well, if that continues well throughout the year next year. But There is a cycle here and it will fund back into IPOs for next year. Out of time on this occasion, Andrew, always good to catch up with you. Thanks so much indeed for all of
0: your input. Big thanks to Andrew Darbuck there, the partner, uh, head of capital markets at Altamimi & Company. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite sized Business Breakfast.
1: Right, you are listening to the Business Breakfast. Georgia Tolley here. And the reason why I'm here is because Brandy Scott isn't. And that's because she's still at COP26. You've got 30,000 delegates, nearly 200 world leaders and countless campaigners, scientists, business figures and bureaucrats. Uh, it is the UN's climate change conference and this year the focus isn't just on countries promising to cut emissions big corporations are also making pledges to offset the effects of climate change brandy's been in conversation with a few of them to find out what they've promised
4: there's no shortage of corporates here at cop 27 from software companies to fmcg giants all with their own environmental goals I spoke to Yasmin Berbier, who is the Regional Head of Sustainability at Nestle. We pledge to decarbonise our operations and supply chains by 20% by 2025, half our emissions by 2030 and, inshallah, land net zero by 2050. One UN panel at COP this year has suggested mandatory emissions targets for corporates. I asked Yasmin whether she agreed with the idea we need to be all in this together no one can take it alone and we can't say that only specific companies or sectors, they are the heroes or the champions. Yet, we need to be inclusive in the approach to ensure a just transition, but having targets that are science-based, that are, uh, you know, uh, substantiated as well by by seeded projects that make sense, and to finance those actions is, is amazing. We need taxonomy, so we need as well uh, from uh, the policies, legal framework, and other. Uh, You know, uh, entities to define how to calculate the KPIs, how to ensure transparency of data. Whether regulated or voluntary, the private sector plays a key role in the fight against climate change, says Stephen Anderson, Middle East market lead for PwC.
5: So I think it's a critical role. Um, Governments can enable, uh, but if you look at the capital that will be deployed in the energy transition, uh, specifically and in the broader transitions that are required then it's going to need a huge amount of private capital and the only way that private capital is going to come out is if the private sector is heavily involved it needs to be enabled by government policy but the private sector have a central role to play.
4: Stephen says golf companies need to pay particular attention to climate issues.
5: So for the GCC more broadly this is both a significant issue uh, and potentially a big opportunity um, you know we are in a region that is uh, going to suffer a lot in terms of water scarcity in terms of climate change in terms of biodiversity loss uh, in terms of uh, water uh, sea levels rising etc etc so there's a big push there around the GCC but actually on the flip side of that Uh, you've got massive opportunities the region's going through an enormous accelerating massive and fast transformation Uh, and within that transformation the sort of energy side of things the environment side of things social and governance can actually help to speed those up so the region has an opportunity to lead on energy transition to lead on circular economy uh, to lead on green hydrogen uh, to lead on sustainable destinations and all of those things give opportunities not just for the gcc to follow but actually to create world-leading competitive advantage
4: Both the private and the public sector have a role to play, says Fareed al-Awlaki, who is the Executive Director of Generation at Taka.
5: You know, everybody's going to have a role to play, so governments also have an important role to play. We're doing it as a commercial, you know, uh, private player, but we're also looking at governments to help set the policies, the frameworks, the incentives right that will help accelerate a lot of these things and make because then there the we, we we also have to try and to operate uh, we have we have to, we represent shareholders uh, we have to demonstrate shareholder value so we have to be also looking at how to to deliver on these targets commercial
4: so what will corporates be listening for when it comes to commitments and timelines that come out of cop 27. this is elizabeth brinton senior vice president corporate of sustainability at microsoft we all know that there's a sense of urgency in this next decade. So how do we
1: have the, the agreements coming together that help us measure with greater certainty the steps along the way? Because there's no magic wand to get to here to where the Paris Agreement is in 2050. That's a lifetime away, right? So it's around how do we make practical steps forward? What are the standards that can help advance across all different industries and sectors? That is Brandy Scott live from Sharm El Sheikh.
0: Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Time for us to focus on all things property. Uh, And, well, today we want to focus on a specific sector of the property market here. This comes after Nakhil secured strategic finance package of 17 billion dirhams to drive their latest phase of growth. the finance will be utilised to accelerate the development of its new projects, including Dubai Islands, and, according to Nakhil, other large waterfront projects it seems like
5: oh i do like to be beside the seaside oh i do like to be beside the sea i do like to stroll upon the well does
0: everyone uh, it's a question we're going to put to our property experts today sarah Hewittin is the head of marketing for hauser morning to you
6: good morning nice song choice
0: <laughs> not at all you know that's come out of the archives this morning um Do we like to be by the seaside? In terms of property and real estate, just how significant is property either next to the sea or with a sea view?
6: Extremely so, yes. Um, I think that's something we've noticed in the last couple of years as we've seen a lot more international investment pour into the uh, Dubai market. So uh, this announcement from Nikhil definitely uh, gives us a wealth of new supply in that area.
0: I mean, the Nikhil announcement, the kill numbers were eye-watering. I know it's buying back a lot of debt and there's it, all sorts of economics involved in where mm. that money's coming from, etc. But it is a signi- it's significant that they've gone to market with that figure and and, and sort of almost... <laughs> a recommendation to others as well that this is where they want to focus their future?
6: Extremely so, yeah. So when we look at you know the, the financing that's come in for Nikhil and we look at the areas in which that's going to go, you've got Dubai Islands, previously Deer Islands, they've already announced that's going to have roughly 38,000 residential units. That's huge. Considering last year in Dubai 35,000 was the total number of units, 38,000 is a very large number. Now this will be staggered, there'll be projects, it'll take a long time for that to materialise. But we know that a large portion of it will go towards there, but then you've also got to look at um, Palm Jebel Alley. Mm. Uh, this is also going to be a very large waterfront project, again, which the financing is definitely going to go towards. So when you look at that, you've got around, I think the figures we're hearing at the moment are around 1,700 villas, and about 6,000 apartments. So again, prime waterfront location. And this is definitely where the financing will go towards.
0: What's, what's it look like in terms of price per square foot or square metre here when it comes to waterfront? Uh,
6: depends where you look, to be honest with you. You look somewhere like e uh, beachfront, which is prime, you're right on the beach, you're looking at around $1,700 a square foot, quite attractive. If you look towards Jamira Bay, you're looking much more towards around three 000, $4, 000, uh, dollars $4,000. So it varies depending on which area of the market you look at, the type of unit, um, but again, varies a lot, but still attractive when you look on a global scale.
0: I'm going to ask a silly question. That's because I can, um, mm-hmm. and I do. Uh, but does 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 beachfront change from waterfront as well? The reason <laughs> I ask is obviously we've got a load of waterfront properties here, be it on the canal, uh, down at the creek, or otherwise. I- is that different?
6: Yeah, there is a slight change when you look towards beachfront and waterfront. I think that's an important distinction to make, because when you look at waterfront properties, and you know, everyone talks about waterfront properties, when you look globally a lot of people think about waterfront as getting direct access to maybe beaches Mm. whereas here we consider waterfront as maybe the marina or maybe even JLT on the lakes for example Mm. so uh, there's a lot of different variations but yes when you look towards direct water access then you definitely see more of a premium on that tag
0: let's talk about supply and demand I mean Intention there from Nakheel and a sign of intention with the announcement of their financing as well. A lot of their infrastructure is in place. You mentioned there the Palm Jebel Alley, a lot of the infrastructure is in place there. So opportunity for them to fast track that. In terms of land availability, waterfront or sorry, beachfront or coastal uh, land availability. Do we have a lot here or not?
6: So, a lot of it thus far has actually been announced recently. So, with these two new projects, you've got uh, a lot of the land and prime Dubai taken up. You've had La Mer that's recently ongoing. So, there's not a huge amount left per se, but you've got these projects that honestly, when they start announcing projects and handing over, you've got 10 plus years of you know waterfront properties that will come to the market. So, although a lot of it may already be you know taken from a land perspective, you've definitely got longevity on how those projects will hand over.
0: Compare and contrast if you can as well because we're looking at it a lot from a property point of view. We talk often don't we about um, the, the visa uh, possibilities now. Um, we're seeing a lot more wealth coming into the city as well. Uh, with wealth, wealth comes demand for well higher uh, demands when it comes to property and real estate as well. Is this a sort of perfect fit uh, when it comes to waterfront, when it comes to beachfront, when it comes to coastal uh, facing for the high net worth individuals looking to move in,
6: yeah, one hundred percent, and that is definitely what we have seen uh, for you know who has attracted these type of units. So, when you look at the price point entry now for Dubai to get a residential visa, for example, it's only about five hundred fifty thousand dollars with that new two million Durham benchmark. When you compare that to other cities, they'd look to reside: Monaco, one million dollars; Singapore, one point eight; mm. uh, UK, about two million. I'm talking about direct access for residency through property. So Dubai is very attractive now, and if we're introducing more waterfront property. And that waterfront property varies from you know studios and one-beds all the way up to four-bed duplexes. So you've got a really variety of units now that's going to cater towards that. And like I said, the point of entry now is far more attractive.
0: We talk about supply and demand here in Dubai. I mean, lest we forget as well, we've got a very long coastline across the whole of the UAE. Mm. We've got Abu Dhabi as well. And we've seen a focus there, a shift of focus towards the islands. That is a natural archipelago of islands. Huge potential down there.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely yeah and I think when you look away you know look a- a- away from Dubai down that coastline there's definitely a lot more opportunities head towards Abu Dhabi and I think it'll be interesting how Abu Dhabi develops because Dubai has done so well and we've really you know there's a spotlight on Dubai now globally I think it'll be interesting to see how the developers adapt down that coastline and what else they introduce and it's like every city it will build and it will expand and I think uh, we're you know we're just at the start when we look at that.
0: Sarah, thank you so much indeed for your time. Sarah Huardin, Head of Marketing from Hauser. Sarah, thank you very much. Annette. Thanks for having me. That was Dubai Science Business Breakfast. Best bits of BB on Thursday, November the 10th. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com
2: or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.